I don't know if you're familiar with uh, something called relativity, but uh, I saw the equation z equals mc squared when I was uh, growing up watching uh, Twilight Zone, and um, it was always on the intro to the TV show, and the um, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You know, uh, the whole concept of of physics and calculus and that kind of stuff and what just what e equals mc squared means just was to me mind-boggling it just didn't make any sense um, even when I actually learned some of the variables and everything that went into it it still didn't make any sense to me and uh, it was just the whole concept of relativity in itself was something that I, it took me a long time to really try to uh, try to completely understand. Now, it's it's a very very obvious thing once you actually understand it. Uh, but uh, what's getting to the point of of actually understanding relativity? It just doesn't make any sense. But I um. I look at it like this. I'm watching um, another episode of Star Trek Voyager, and uh, they have an event that uh, that goes on that more or less uh, Janeway ends up going to uh, with the um, the holographic doctor. They end up uh, going to explore, uh, go talk to another civilization or everything, Tic Tacs or something like that, something goofy. It's got this absurd culture that's associated with it, and she apparently offends him. And I, I figure I'm going to be fucking offensive meeting some cultures, too. And while I will be delicate with, uh, you know, to a certain extent and everything, that delicateness is, is definitely going to have its limits and bounds. And I I just basically look at Janeway and I go, you know, <laughs> you're going to have... I mean, it's it was just, it's kind of funny, you know, when it comes down to it, how absurd the culture is. But um, in any case, absurdness aside... Um, she ends up coming back to to Voyager with the doctor, and uh, while he's he's immune to to disease and to all this other stuff, just because he's he's literally a photonically based emanation, he's um, he's something that's non-organic. He's a he's a program. So. In any case, uh, they go back to the Voyager afterwards on their shuttle, and they come to find out that the uh, that the crew itself has actually completely gone away. And um, I'm sorry, I'm going to back up a little bit. It's Neelix and uh, and Janeway, and the Doctor is actually who they meet up with on the uh, on the ship. Well, what's ended up happening is the uh, the ship itself has actually undergone some kind of a virus, and uh, they got this virus from a colony, and very soon Neelix, who's the one who went with Janeway, not the doctor, they end up um, coming back, and uh, as they, Neelix is very quickly infected by this virus, and Janeway, of course, you know, she manages to dodge that bullet and everything at first, and then she does get, eventually get infected and everything. And uh, what happens is, it's a, uh, it's a macro, it's a virus that, uh, that, more or less, it's it's airbound. Um, at first, it's actually something that the uh, doctor goes to to this mining colony, and the mining colony has been infected by this. But the uh, the thing actually ends up evolving. The virus evolves, and it ends up um, becoming ma a macro virus. So, in the literal sense, uh, these this these particulates which are exchanged through air, through food, through all this other stuff and everything, soon, very soon, ends up uh, being um, distributed through uh, 
um, at that point it goes into the people and it, it festers and more or less uh, replicates itself to the point that it actually replicates its size and scale as well, leveraging the mass of the uh, of the host that they're actually within. So what ends up happening is that uh, that ends up causing these little tiny you know, I mean, microscopic viruses to expand in size so dramatically that they soon soon create boils and wounds on the uh, on the wounds of the victim that they end up uh, infecting, and at that point create uh, airbound, uh, literally flies, and these things actually grow in size and proportion to be you know quite literally monsters. You know, they're basically two, three foot, uh, three foot wide. So. In any case, it's kind of a horrific, um, you know, environment and everything and concept, you know, but uh, when it comes down to it, the the whole thing is, uh, what what is exactly is Janeway, is Janeway experiencing here? And why? Why with her disappearance from the ship? And uh, relativity is, is what provides us answers. Now, these things that she's seeing, if she was capable of managing and understanding chronology herself in time, um, she wouldn't be having these problems. But because she doesn't properly manage time, what ends up happening is some of these events which normally will occur um, I mean, at any given point in space and time, we all have these literal hor horrific events happen to us. You know, so whether or not it's, um, you know, a zombie outbreak, um, a Terminator war, um, a, uh, it could be an invasion by aliens, any number of all these different events and everything are all always occurring all around us. You know, in this case here, a macroscopic virus. But because she's disassociated herself from from maintaining the chronology of her life, um, what's end ended up happening is she's she ends up seeing things that um, you know horrific things that otherwise she may not want to actually play a part on. She may not actually want to be a part of. So, and how how the reality that I'm aware of works is. Our mind and our memories are spliced in, and um, these memories are disassociated, and they're created. They're created in film. They're created in TV shows. They're, in some cases, they're not even created at all. They're just basically discarded. I mean, you know, there's at any given point, there's massive amounts of information and possibilities that are constantly arising, and um, all these possibilities uh, form together, and um, to some degree, the best of, the ones that we want, the ones that I desire, you know, the ones that I want, um, the ones that you want, that you desire and everything, are the ones that, uh, that, are, that we're actually, ever, you know, stolidly guided to. So that's actually what relativity is, is the relativity of perception and perceptual existence and everything is, to some degree, um, Janeway may have control of chronology from her conscious mind. Now, what I'm seeing is a glimpse into the life of Janeway, and while I may not necessarily be seeing the life that Janeway has consciously chosen to live, there's some possibility in it. You know, what I'm seeing is a spliced, um, a thread of existence of her life and everything. 
you know, in that thread, you know, it's just basically showing me that, uh, yeah, she went through this horrible, horrid event on board a uh, starship. She ended up seeing these things that are straight out of the movie or the TV, the, the game Dead Space, you know, that uh, looks absolutely hor horrific to go through, you know, but um, in a conscious perspective, from a conscious perspective, you know, she may be an actress. You know, I mean, she, literally, you know, and, and uh, what she's experiencing as an actress is a disassociated form of the events that she actually went through in another place in another time. And that's actually what relativity, part of what relativity does. Relativity just basically says that the conscious experience that I go through, you know, and it, it, there's there's different forms of relativity, but relativity as applied to the conscious um, decisions, to the consciousness, says that there's experiences that I go through as an individual. Um, there's experiences that you may perceive that I go through as an individual. And neither is more accurate than the other. Um, I mean, it, it, and it could be any number of things. For instance, um, I had a, uh, a time where, you know, I ended up uh, embellishing to Bill, you know, that those uh, two girls that uh, I really wanted to spend some time with and everything, and Bill saw me with them, and um, I ended up getting a hotel room, you know, with, with the two up in Vegas and everything, and what ended up happening was nothing, you know, just, uh, it was actually one of those rare moments where, um, basically the two women are Jackie and another girl named Amy Linsky. Now, I had flown Amy and Jackie up to Las Vegas and everything with the goal of actually spending some time with them, and, you know, hopefully having a threesome and everything, and, um, as it turned out, that didn't happen, you know, but... I took some wonderful pictures. I dressed up as Hugh Hefner. Um, I had a pipe and everything. Jackie and, and uh, Amy both wore hugely, hugely uh, um, revealing outfits and everything. And uh, when I showed the pictures to a couple friends, particularly Bill Stokes and everything, I just, I at that point really started saying to myself, um, I'm going to hint. You know, I mean, I wanted him to believe what had happened to me happened. Um, no, no reason in particular. I mean, I figured it was to, you know, to maybe potentially elevate my status a little bit. Um, it, maybe that's not necessarily it. Maybe just because of the fact that I wanted it to happen so bad. I guess, you know, to some degree, somebody else believing that it had um, made it feel like it you know, still was in the realms of possibilities and everything. So, in any case, I ended up hinting around, you know, that, uh, and showed him pictures and everything, and, you know, he never got to talk to Jackie or Amy to confirm or deny anything either. But nothing ever happened between us, you know, for that trip and everything. Now, I've made the comment before, I'd love to actually visit, revisit this thing, you know, but the relativity of the experience, of the observed experiences, is is twofold here. Number one, there's the experience that I went through. That's from a conscious perspective and everything. And uh, number two, there's the assumed experiences that I ended up happening, the imagined experiences that I ended up happening, as as more or less outlined to Bill. Now, 
let's say Bill ended up making some decisions in his life um, based on the experiences that I had. You know, based on what he considered to be the truth of those experiences and everything. To him, the, the importance of those experiences and the necessity for those to be real in order to basically make his decision and everything could be extreme, could be profound. And um, if he learned that, uh, that it was a lie, it could potentially collapse that entire belief system and make it seem like a fabrication, not only that, like a fabrication that he was lying to himself. So in order to protect his individuality, the relativistic methods of perception and everything will basically support the belief system. And not only that, but the evidence to the contrary. You know, that, uh, that these things didn't happen and everything just simply won't be manifested to him. Now, I can assert you, I can assure you, you know, the events didn't happen, um, from my perspective. Now, from his perspective, though, I think they did. I mean, I think that's among the reasons we ended up separating as, as friends and everything, was, you know, to some degree, my confession and mission of some of these experiences and everything, you know, um, some were real, absolutely real, but, you know, probably some of the cornerstone ones, such as this one with Jackie and Rachel, or Jackie and uh, Amy, um, you know, I wish it was real. My God, do I wish it was real. It would have been fucking fun, you know, with this, too. I mean, I hooked up with Amy later, you know, and uh, Jackie later, you know, individually, you know, but uh, to actually be with uh, the three of them at the same time, that could have been fucking fun. And uh, this is the way I look at it. But, um, you know, so how does this apply to Einstein's relativity? Well, it's important to understand that relativity is not a mathematical concept. Now, as presented, it tries to portray itself as a mathematical concept, but it wasn't ever intended to be a mathematical concept, a mathematical exclusive. And um, that's the whole thing about math, is math tries to, tries to believe that um, it can actually analyze and binary sum up everything. But math is just a language. You know, it's a, it's a method of organizing information and data and everything. Um, but but uh, and the things that extend from it, in some cases, like physics and some of that stuff, um, it's, it's in itself presenting a perspective. You know, perspective of how light forms, of how um, time moves relative to light, of how um, how organisms interoperate with each other and everything, and uh, the the mechanisms at the chemical mechanisms that lead to the biology, that lead to the experiences of the individual. But relativity itself is not specifically applied to just light and time. It's applied to perspective, it's applied to consciousness, it's applied to fucking everything. You know, so the conscious perspective, you know, of from a relativistic perspective and everything, um, can dictate, absolutely dictate, that two experiences uh, that uh, of an event that are so profoundly different, um, ultimately, in a literal sense, cause a chasm to form. And this isn't always the case. And that chasm winds up creating an alternate version of Earth.
So let's take it for instance, you know, the 9-11, um, the events of 9-11. Now, I myself, I have a variety of truths that have formed as to what, uh, what exactly caused that to happen. And it wasn't just one single source. There was many different things. Um, I know that the NSA had been contacted and everything by various sources in order to um, create this event. I know that two people did die, you know, only two, you know, not 4,000 or whatever. Um, I know that, uh, that it was a wonderful piece of Hollywood. And um, I also know that uh, they ended up displaying holographic planes and, and holographic technology to the world for one of the most uh, widely visible times ever, um, and, you know, per, and and made it made it appear factually true. Um, I know that uh, they ended up clearing the streets. Um, I don't know the methods on how they cleared the streets and everything to make sure that nobody was around the buildings and everything, but two people had snuck into the perimeter, and that's that's what ended up causing their death and everything. I know that um, that one of the buildings, it, it, some of the effects of this, the unexpected side effects of this, was one of the buildings, Building 7, they, they learned was a hologram. Now, they didn't know where this hologram came from, and it caused a whole different branch of study and everything. You know, and uh, how the fuck can a hologram with persistent imagery and everything be so real? But they they learn that factually and everything, and um, they also learn the uh, you know the the art of modifying you know videos and that kind of stuff and everything on a real time basis, and the art of the orchestra, you know, putting together this event that had a lot of people working in coordination with each other to perform this feat, and they did a pretty amazing job with it. Now I learned that. Um, you know, that, uh, sure, you know, you had a couple people that owned the building and everything that just wanted to replace it. You know, the building itself was a sign of the excesses of, of, uh, Wall Street and, you know, a place and time and in American history and everything that, to some degree, we're getting increasingly less proud of. You know, I learned that, uh, you know, that while it, it was something that a lot of people wanted to see and wanted to visit, um, that alone wasn't a compelling factor for most people to actually want to go to uh, to New York and everything. So America and New York realized it needed something different, you know, not uh, a sign of excess and capitalism and everything, but something that can actually start letting the city grow to become something a little bit more amazing. And I think that uh, comparing it to big cities, you know, tall cities like Hong Kong, which, you know... Um, have progressed well beyond what New York is, is is at right now, but certainly inspired New York to to become something different. I if you're ever trying to find one single source, you know that's responsible for this, you're never going to find it. You know, without pointing the finger at me, you know. But so besides that, you know, it's just like when it comes down to it. The world needed change. You know, the United States needed change. That's actually what happened with 9/11. Now, this this relativistic um, perception of of events and the lack of um, you know just basically responsibility. I think that somebody should have over the taking of lives. Well, it was accidental. It really was. Now, what's portrayed on the media is is an ex is not reality. And, um, 
you know, that's the whole thing that, uh, that's interesting here about relativity. Relativity tends to resist collective change, and it tends to demonify collectively based changes. It tends to isolate, and it tends to try to actually um, be manipulated to try to find a single solitary source responsible for those changes, and as a result, sometimes trying to roll back those changes, trying to not permit those changes. So what we see is, you know, potential that in one reality, 9-11 never happened. Um, a lot of people probably chose that. <laughs> A lot of people probably chose to ignore, you know, the quote-unquote things that ended up happening, you know, for this alternate reality and everything, and um, they chose to basically go on their merry lives and everything, believing that 9-11 never happened, that the demons and that the, you know, the Janeway, you know-esque type things that, uh, you know, created a, a scarier, you know, but more interesting and engaging world and everything. Just flat out never happened. So as a result, this causes a divergence. The 9-11 event not being perceived by many is a conscious choice that some made. 9-11 to some never happened. And that's what relativity does. You know, it just basically makes it so where the experiences I have as a conscious individual aren't necessarily guaranteed to be the experiences somebody else has. And in so much as it can quite literally create momentum to create an alternate reality. It's like uh, somebody splitting a thread, you know. I mean, it's it may seem impossible you know, to split a thread right down the middle and have two pieces that actually retain its, you know, its strength and, and shape and everything. But with the right tools and the right awareness of how things function, that's what happens, and it happens all the time. If you ever seen the movie Life is Beautiful, it's, it's, um, it is a true story. It's about a man that uh, ends up going through, he's a Jewish man, he ends up going through World War II, and he's completely blind to all the stuff that's going on around him. You know, um, he, he believes that uh, there's no problems at all and everything's functioning, and the world that he sees is absolutely beautiful the entire time and everything, up until the point that he dies, you know. And this is the thing, that he dies from our perspective. Now, I've often asked uh, a lot of questions about um, perspective when it comes down to um, do, do what is it uh, somebody actually experienced at Ground Zero during Hiroshima and Nagasaki? You know, do, I mean, does time halt or slow down dramatically? And at that point, do they, you know, do they end up you know, more or less growing old and experiencing life and everything at a, a normal rate rate of speed and everything? And do they just basically see the sunrise and the sunset and everything like they normally do? You know, and they're just going on their merry lives like they normally do? Completely oblivious that the city's ever been bombed? I'm suspecting, yeah. You know, that happens all the time. I'm suspecting, you know, to me, 
you know, I'm, I may see somebody, you know, I actually, I don't see people getting shot, you know, ever, um, fortunately. Now I see it on TV and everything, but in the real world, never see it, never. And I'm glad, because I don't want to. You know, flat out don't want to. So, let's say somebody, you see somebody getting shot, somebody dying, you know, do they experience that? Or do they experience blackness? Well, you might tell yourself that your belief is king, and as a result, they're going to experience exactly what you expect them to. You know, that's an egocentric perspective. You know, I mean, <laughs> plain and simple, that's an egocentric perspective. If you have religious beliefs about what happens with life after death and everything, you know, to some degree, you might be programmed to believe that that's actually ubiquitous, that everything's going to experience the same exact thing that you, expe you expect them to. And this is actually how wars are caused. You know, the whole idea and concept of what happened with 9-11, and in particular with the war over in Afghanistan and everything, was was based on a simple conflict of perspective. There's one belief, you know, one set of beliefs and everything that felt like they were the ones responsible for the demonification of, uh, or to, for attacking us. And it was the same exact perspective from an alternative view. Now here's the weird thing. Nine eleven. They never invaded our country. But the United States invaded theirs. So, in any case, I'll be back later. I'm having a hard time waking up today. I was up too late last night. But relativity, it's a funky concept, but it's not a mathematical one. It's more of an abstract one. It's something that just basically says that uh, when somebody walks off the stage of, of and this is what I have, have said my entire life, when somebody walks off the stage of my life, I make some assumptions about what they do, about where they go, about who they talk to. Um, sometimes I don't make any assumptions, and I just let it rest. At, let it rest there. But at, at the times I do make assumptions and everything, sometimes I make decisions based on those assumptions to do certain things, and sometimes those decisions I make start solidifying themselves and cementing themselves to actually dictate and define my behavior, and as a result, I start finding evidence in the real world that my assumptions are accurate. Now, this this is a, a well-known phenomenon with people that are, you know, believe that their partner's actually having an affair on them. You know, with, um, <laughs> I believed it for years, too. You know, but uh, what it comes down to is the conviction of your individual belief in everything leads you to believe that your assumptions are accurate. <laughs> and um, it, it's in so much as it, it might actually be responsible for dictating somebody's behavior. Now I've got a for instance. Um, I was, uh, and this is, it's a little bit off the beaten path and everything, but I had just arrived over to Mexico, or to, uh, to um, Studio City, and I had been taking a bus out to, um, to the EBT office and everything. And I, I was waiting on this, it was a 224 going down uh, Lancashire, and uh, as I'm 
as I'm waiting and everything, I knew that I had probably four or five more stops to go and everything before I had to transfer over and everything. And the bus was really full. And then some, you know, some uh, older lady comes in, gets in, and um, there's no seats that are available whatsoever. I, she, I, and she's not older. She's just middle-aged and everything, you know. But uh, at this point, I'm just like, I'm starting to realize I'm, I'm feeling confused. And, you know, she's looking around, and she's eyeing me, just eyeing me. And at this point, I'm just like going, okay, you know, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting there as, as the uh, stops go by, I'm like looking, going, is this where I need to get out? I noticed that I was really confused and I'm sitting there going, okay, I know where I have to stop. I've done this before. This isn't the first time. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm just like, I had this overwhelming urge to get off the bus right here, right now. As I get up, boom, she sits down. I get off the bus, and as I get off the bus, I realize that I've got another two miles to go before I have that the changing stop. So I have just put in two miles worth of walking. And it's just like, what? As I get out, as the bus drives away, I sit there and I'm thinking, why the fuck did I just do that? <laughs> well, this is the power of the of the mind, you know, and this is the power of of understanding relativity, of understanding what it's doing, and of understanding how some people leverage this to be able to influence people in ways that they don't know. It's my belief that she's the one that's responsible for influencing me. It's my belief that this, you know, Spanish, Hispanic woman, you know, had this capability and everything that uh, could telepathically influence me to basically do what she wanted me to. She wanted to see. Well, actively, she may not have actually understood what was going through my mind. But in a passive way, her desire caused confusion in me caused the influence of the impulses in me, which eventually resulted in me deciding at a conscious level to be able to, to move from that seat. Now, had I not had her influence in that situation and everything, I would have stayed there. I would have remained unconfused, and I would have gone on my merry way and everything, and uh, had no problems at all, you know, and <laughs> gotten off at the right stop. But instead, I was given a, a, a wonderful lesson. It was minor inconvenience for the lesson that I was given, and the lesson was simple. The mind is subject to influences around us at all times, that's the way I look at it, and those influences can cause and cause behavior and deviations in behavior that take us right off that rail and make us do things. And this is a lesson from Hitler. You know, make us do things that we otherwise wouldn't normally do. It could be something as subtle as getting off on the wrong bus stop. And it could be something as as strong as just simply getting married to somebody that you don't want to get married to could be even more powerful, like the urge to kill. 
you know, and and I think getting control of the mind and understanding all these influences that are going on around us at all times is absolutely crucial, you know, critical to the experiences that we have. I mean, letting some of it happen is actually kind of okay, you know, but um, the way I look at it is, you know, for me, you know, getting a hold of and actually understanding these influences, you know, has come, you know, at, at the at a severe cost. You know, I've lost all my friends. I've lost, you know, um, to some degree, you know, the the life that I had before. I mean, I tr- truly do believe that the life that I'm actually emerging into is going to be richer, more valuable, more profound, more engaging, more entertaining, more hopeful than the previous one that I had because I've got control of my mind now. I'm no longer going to be doing as much as I was to benefit others at the cost of not of never benefiting myself. <laughs> I'll be able to have tangible results, you know, for those benefits and everything. And this isn't to say I didn't have tangible results before, you know, but that was like a smokescreen. It was just basically my mind's way of lying to me, you know, to basically say keep on going on this path and everything, you know, until I can't do it anymore. You know, and that was really at the point that I ended up trying to commit suicide. You know, but uh, having the influence of somebody like that, you know, and understanding that at all times, you know, people have a different innate, what I consider, levels of telepathy. Um, in her case, I suspect she didn't uh, know what she was doing. Um, she just wanted the seat, and she was trying to, you know, trying to more or less make me feel guilty for not sacrificing her seat to a woman. That's the gist of what I felt. Yeah, for me, you know, um, while I respect women, women want to be treated as equals, for the most part. So, you know, if you're on a bus and everything, and I've got three more stops, and in this case I had a 60-pound backpack, I'm not going to get up to give you my seat. I don't care who you are. This isn't being a jerk. This isn't just me saying. It. <laughs> I mean, I've got a huge load on my, on my, on my shoulders and everything. But instead, I made a decision I normally wouldn't through the influence, the indirect influence of somebody that was leveraging her mind to basically manipulate me at a distance. Now, this is exactly this is exactly where peer pressure comes from. Peer pressure is the formation of a collective mindset that actually has a tendency to form and to create pressure on us, you know, as individuals and everything. And that uh, that pressure results in very, very real manifestations, you know, within our physical body and everything when we resist it. Pressure to conform, you know, to, to norms and everything, that's what's responsible for creating stress-related ailments. It's what's responsible for creating high blood pressure. It's what's, you know, could be potentially responsible for creating cancer and that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that society needs to stop doing this as a whole. You know, that's how society is formed, is the expectation of conformance and everything. I mean, the result is, it's not as easy being an individual when you're fitting in with a collective group and everything. However... There comes a time and a place where that that conformance becomes too costly to one's own self. So, in any case, 
relativity um, is applied to the mind. Uh, just basically says every mind works in isolation, functions in isolation, and in in very profound ways, chronologically, um, perceptually, sensory, from a sensory perspective, and everything. And when somebody exits the stage of my life, the assumptions I make about the experiences they have. You know, could be better than the experiences that they actually went through. And when we rejoin, they may actually choose to forget what they experienced, to dissociate themselves from that experience, because they like my ideas better. And similarly, You know, the assumptions I made could lead to conflict. And there's also another flip side to it, too. The assumptions I made can be so important to me that it may actually alter, in a programmatic sense, my visual views of the world, my audible views of the world. I may come to see, to hear, to feel, to touch, and experience a completely different world if the way that I perceive the world and everything is that profoundly different than the way that uh, you and others perceive it. And it's not obvious. But just think about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Do you think those people want, want to experience getting bombed out? And for, to answer that question, all you have to do is look at yourself. Do you want to experience it? That experience is a choice. Absolutely a choice. And when you make that choice not to, the universe respects it. And it does it. It respects it through this device and mechanism called relativity. The experience that you experience is not one and the same as that that others expect you to have. It's like if you're ever kidnapped, you know, and strung up and put in a hostel and used for somebody's uh, amusement to be able to torture and everything. Do you want to experience that? Me? I don't. Well, as a result, you have disassociation in the formation of a movie called Hostel. And the experience is, I mean, that, that's actually how relativity works. It disassoci disassociates ourselves from reality, and it takes the collective mechanisms and actually pieces, splices them together. It, in the literal sense, alters time. And as a result, you have a new timeline, a fictional timeline that's created with the movie that apparently was popular. about people that uh, love that enjoy torturing other people. Now, to some degree, this could be the collective mind at work and basically saying, we're going to find one individual because one individual undergoing this experience, you know, isn't uh, isn't going to cause us much harm. You know, it's kind of like um, me saying, hey, I'm going to ingest, you know, as a uh, as a drug user, I'm going to ingest drugs and I don't I don't care about the 10 brain cells that I killed during the process of this. Well, 
Now, for me, as an individual, I'm making decisions based on the collective, you know, con con constituents of uh, neurons and things that actually make up my body. And my, my choice to kill 10 of them is respected. But those 10 may go off somewhere else. They may start perceiving different realities and everything of where I didn't make that choice. So, in any case, relativity. It's a weird concept, but it just basically says if you want choice, there's no extents and limits to the to the depths of that choice. Nor are there really any extents or limits to the depravity of those choices that people make. But I also think that uh, because people, because things just haven't been chosen that uh, appear fun, I don't know, appear more supportive, collectively supportive, I should say. I don't know where I was going to go with that, that thought and concept and everything. Anyways, I'm going to get back to Star Trek and watching a thread of of uh, Janeway's mind. One of the problems with um with uh, Star Trek and the um, in the Star Trek universe, the discussion in of of uh, Borg uh, technology and everything is there's um, a, an attempt by numerous different factions, Cardassians, Romulans, and even the um, Section Thirty One and parts of the. Uh, Federation and everything, to reverse engineer Borg technology and that kind of stuff. Now, here's a problem. Um, the atomic structure of Borg technology does not originate within the Starfleet universe. So, and Borg themselves are not a physical manifestation. Um, the physical manifestation is that which you believe, but they are a being comprised of mind. They assimilate through, um, by more or less shifting in between alternate dimensions and everything, and to some degree they're, they actually manipulate media in order to, hand, in order to do that, uh, that assimilation process. You know, so, um, for instance, Star Trek was inter introduced into my world, and the Borg were introduced as the quote-unquote the most evil um, evil thing that's out there and everything. And um, at that point, it presents the the mind of somebody watching it with the the wonderment, you know, how can something be, you know, deemed this, you know, evil and everything. And uh, that, that starts the process of something called belief. And that belief at that point, and the imagination being enacted and everything, um, creates the, for lack of better words, the, uh, the destination, the, the location for these, th these entities and everything. And at that point, the, those entities then inhabit uh, this as a as a single collective uh, conscious consciousness and everything, and also in addition to the um, the Borg Queen, which is a, a kind of like a protrusion 
um, in space and time of the mind, of multidimensional mind and everything. So here's, here's for instance of what I'm talking about. I'm accessing uh, the Romulan library computer. Now, Romulus has been destroyed. Um, so has uh, the planet Vulcan and everything. And um, more or less, to some degree, um, the Borg, uh, along with another other entities that um, dimensionally travel and everything, they, to some degree, they push. Um, their desire is to kind of collapse universes in order to to obtain both the energy um, from that universe and also the minds, the sentient minds and everything. So when they go to a universe, and to some degree they're traveling um, in between universes, and that's, that's what they do and everything, um, as a collective entity and everything, once they do this, they end up going to one, and at that point, once they get done with it, well, they have a tendency to... Um, to have put forth plans and everything to, in a literal sense, collapse that and to some degree, um, re they feel, reclaim their energy, what they're rightfully entitled to. That's what they feel and everything. Um, or that's what they calculate and everything. And uh, they, they don't understand that energy and the mind are kind of one and the same thing is, is from their reference point and everything and uh, that they're not necessarily on the right track. I mean, there's a, a saying that uh, everything is energy, according to Einstein. Well, that's not, not, not necessarily true. Um, the mind, the conscious mind, the single perspective and everything creates everything. I mean, not just um, the energy, you know, itself, but uh, the matter, um, the biology, the chemistry, the organization of, of ideas and concepts and everything that actually constitute reality itself. So it's the mind, the single solitary mind, or the collective mind, you know, collectively looking at and investigating itself in isolation and everything that has a tendency to, uh, to basically more or less define the things and, you know, in, a, in an attempt to disassociate um, well, that's kind of what expands the world and everything. Disassociation, the utter, you know, and convicted belief in a collective society and everything, and um, the isolation, the continued isolation of ideas and concepts and everything, trying to refine the idea of perfection and the isolation of ideas and concepts into a physical form. So, in this case, um, you know, or other forms. So I'm just saying physical because that's my perspective and everything, but there's certainly other perspectives and everything as well. So with this said, um, I'm reading the Romulan library computer, and um, it makes me think of a moment in um, was it Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It talks about the mice having invented a computer the size of the world, and they named it Earth. And uh, the answer, they were trying to find out the answer to the question, the species was trying to find out the answer to the question what was the me meaning to life, the universe, and everything. And uh, the computer, after like seven million years, ends up responding with um, number 42. So they end up going back and forth with this computer and everything over millions upon millions of years. And it, uh, it just keeps on giving obtuse answers and everything. And it's actually kind of comical, but in the, uh, in the end, the 
mice are demonstrated as being, you know, at least from this movie's perspective and everything, as being the second most intelligent uh, species on the uh, planet next to dolphins, and uh, the mice is nothing more than a protrusion into space and space and time of their multidimensional mind, and uh, the whole goal of the mouse you know, being in presence is just basically quiet as a mouse, right? You know, the whole concept is they can be incognito here on this planet if they could observe from the cracks and crevices and, and still have a material foundation in this planet and everything. So, in any case, there's a lot of beings that are like that, protrusions into um, into this reality. And similarly, my mind um, will have protrusions in alternate realities as well. And, um, that those protrusions uh, are actually noticeable, you know. So it's not that uh, I mean, with a a little bit of uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of self-awareness, you start seeing those effects and the influences that your own mind has on the things that that are going on that you might watch on TV, see in the movies, um, all the way to playing games, um, just everything. Uh, so it goes beyond just the things that you physically, tangibly touch and everything. It goes into the everything that you observe. It doesn't matter what your, what your observational viewpoint is. So if you read newspapers, you'll definitely see your influence on the news and the, the newspapers, uh, the, the information actually comes at you. Um, it, depending on your time period and everything, um, you know, and uh, this that time period could be pretty much, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe you're getting this information in the 1940s and uh, or 1930s, and World War II hasn't started, um, and it may not even ever start on your timeline. You know, you may hear this warning and everything about December 7th, and you know, was it uh, Pearl Harbor and everything? And uh, at that point, you don't, you know, you may be able to do something to actually prevent the possibility of a war arising. You know, it's just like me. I mean, I got uh, certainly indications, you know, through all the media and everything that a World War III would, you know, would arise, you know, through Terminator, through Star Trek and all that kind of stuff. I myself didn't want it, you know, so I have no doubt I have influenced things in such a way to basically steer this world away from, um, collectively, from a World War III. I don't want it. Flat out don't want it. You know, I don't mind having one and two as a part of our history, but when it comes down to it, I don't want to experience that, that shit. So, in any case, um, my mind is, you know, is not that much different than a lot of people's minds. Well, I don't know about that. But uh, I do know that it's multidimensional in nature. So my conscious part of me actually, you know, kind of like uh, it's here, you know, in this world. This is my protrusion, at least consciously. Um, now there's there does stand the potential that there's conscious protrusions. Um, there, well, we'll put it this way, that there used to be conscious protrusions in other points in space and time, but I don't believe that's true anymore. The Highlander's kind of like the hint on that one. There could only be one. There's even a Jet Li movie, too, The One. You know, it's just like the whole concept and idea of The One has been something that's been mentioned throughout media, you know, over time and everything, countless times, you know, and Matrix and all that kind of stuff. It's just like, uh, when it comes down to it, that whole concept and idea of there being one that's in control, that's basically um, responsible for controlling, you know, the program, you know, of the 
of the universe and um, no matter what your perspective and how you want to think about it you know that's my perspective to me it's my program I mean it's my reality um, as a programmer I like the idea of being able to interact with this reality as a program and um, maybe reprogramming parts that on the fly not necessarily reprogramming everything but certain things absolutely you know including time including my re you know some relationships especially Jackie and and, uh, and Rachel um, you know, and I added, added Ken and Lisa just the other day, too. You know, so the whole thing for me is just, uh, you know, just basically looking at um, the media that's presented to me and uh, just basically at this point sending out the ripples, you know. So the, the idea and concept is that as I discuss these concepts and everything, this solidifies and pours the foundation, potentially diversifies the amount of ideas and everything that I get back, and also helps me, you know, pave the path to, you know, to be able to achieve the things I'm trying to achieve, too. So, you know, it's, uh, the way I look at, at the world and reality now is, to some degree, it's it's a little bit of everything. It's a story, it's a game, it's about sex, it's about domination, it's about war, it's about love. You name it. Um, but it waxes and wanes, and right now it's more about the story for me. The story that actually leads to my uni unification, you know, with um, with a couple a couple lovers, and starting the journey as, um, as more or less a, a new kind of continuum. Um, maybe um, making our own, t I mean, I already made this fleet called the Fleet of, uh, or the um, Department of Temporal Mischief. It just sounds fun. I mean, it's, it's that in itself. If I actually saw a TV show that was uh, based on that, that's actually a TV show, I would be like, oh, hell yeah, just by the name alone. You know, I'd be like all over that. You know, but, you know, the thing is, um, well, we'll put it this way. If if I'm viewed, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for all my travels and everything, you know, the cool thing is, you know, this TV show concept and everything um, can have a rated G version, you know, for one reality, a rated X version for another reality, you know, and it can cut and uh, splice and deliver things to other realities <coughs> um, based on... <laughs> what you know what gets edited out you know or what gets edited you know you could have well, maybe you've got a dark universe um, you could have certain things that I certainly get in a dark mood on occasion you know I get a little bit physic you know I get happy I get playful you know I get uh, you know highly sexual on occasion not all the time you know um, I get pensive I get thoughtful I get you know particularly when I'm traveling and everything I get explorative you know so let's say one season of the Department of Temporal Investigation consists of 10 hours, you know, of programming altogether that occurred during a year's period of time relative to me, well, you have the potential at that point, you know, with this, you know, for me being able to do these things and carry along four goofy companions and everything that I've met throughout my life that maybe they, they found out that what I was doing in the future before I did, and they said, hey, that actually sounds like fun. And to some degree, you know, there's a part of them, you know, that are actually aligning me to, you know, and not only that, but working through me to say the words that I'm saying. Maybe I don't have full control of my faculties and everything in order to be able to achieve the things that I'm wanting to achieve and everything. And that's okay, because this just seems like fun. And maybe my own thoughts have been usurped.
you know, to lead me to bleep. This just seems like fun. That's okay, too. We all look at it as, to some degree, we all undergo manipulation, you know, in some form or fashion or everything. But we all manipulate, too. So the way I look at it is, I'm, I'm calmer, I'm more content than I've been in a long time. You know, the only thing that has held true probably for the last 30 years, you know, has been I wish I could lose some weight. You know, um, but besides that, it's not like I'm uncomfortable with who I am. You know, I'm just want to experience, you know, some things. I want to go travel to some of these alternate dimensions and realities. I want to see a Borg cube in person. I want to go to this Terminator world and actually just look at what the Terminators are doing to to recreate the world and everything. And what, what kind of world do they create? You know, sincerely, what kind of world do they create? You know, when I, after, after they've annihilated every human off the planet and everything. You know, I mean, you don't have to consider me as human. I'm calling myself Q, and I'm calling myself a Time Lord. You know, so you don't have to consider me a human. And the the women that I want with me, for all intents and purposes, if they're androids or cyborgs or whatever, as long as they look like the women and act like the women, you know, that I that I'm referring to, I'm perfectly fine with that. So, in any case, I'm just thinking, Department of Temporal, you know, Department of Temporal Mischief, you know, that's the idea for the TV show, and, uh, you know, what if, what if it just basically, you know, created a show based on all the different alternate realities, or a handful of potential alternate realities that are out there, you know, the Naked Universe, you know, for instance. Maybe I go and I tour the Naked Universe on occasion with these women and everything, we try things out. You know, maybe we, we take, you know, a handful of the experiences and everything that we have, you know, and, um, you know, we cut it out. You know, we trim it down to a TV show episode and everything, and, you know, or something else that's observing us from the outside that maybe is capturing all the information at all times and everything without us really knowing, well, without anybody else except for me really knowing that it's there. Now, I've always had the hint that Doctor Who plays to the camera, and Deadpool certainly does. You know, he knows the camera's there, and he does all his stuff and everything. I'm okay with being observed 24-7, you know, for, the, for that sake of entertainment. I will do the things that I want to do, but it does come at, at, you know, kind of like, it has to be with some caveats with the women that I enjoy and everything. I'm tired of drama being infused, you know, into my life through external mechanisms that just go to fuck with us, fuck with me intentionally. It's just like, that's not fun. It's not even fun to watch anymore. And I don't think anybody else really feels that way. I know I certainly don't. <laughs> I have a tendency to watch science fiction and fantasy less for the drama and for the antics and more for the visuals. Half the storylines I, I, I are utter, utterly unmemorable. And the same thing holds true for Doctor Who, unfortunately. There's some, some episodes that are actually memorable, that are interesting and everything. You know, but for the most part, the whole drama related to monsters and all this other shit, it has gotten tedious, it's gotten boring, it's gotten all this other stuff. 
And here's the thing, this is actually what I've realized throughout my travels, and I've been to nearly 40 countries. Drama f has a way of being created by somebody that simply explores and goes to places to do things they haven't done before. Asking for a prostitute, for instance, uh, it's something I did while I was in Romania. Next thing you know, I've got two cop cars that are on me. Didn't know it was illegal to actually ask for it. Although I went to the, uh, you know, to the local, uh, you know, strip club, and I was completely and utterly. I mean, just <laughs> they made it a fact, made it an absolute fact to request, you know, to push it. Hey, say yes, you know, we'll go to the back room, you know. And it's just going on with the list of things that they would do. It's just kind of funny. You know, or, you know, the other events and everything. Having a conversation, me getting drunk and everything over in, um, what was it, um, Czech Republic. And, uh, the whole experience that I had on, on, uh, what was it, um, absinthe. You know, so... Sure, first part of my life was alcohol and drugs and, you know, a lot of partying and everything. But the way I look at it is, there's not a whole lot of programming. TV shows, movies, and whatnot, and everything. It's for the more sedate, and for the more... I don't know. I wouldn't say sedate, because I, I want to go do things. But you got things like um, Anthony Bourdain, you know, who ended up going around the world and just basically trying out different restaurants. Somehow, some way, he ended up getting fucking depressed doing what he was doing. And to some degree, I believe the man was, was doing it, not because he loved it, but because he was paid a lot of money to do it. And I, I suspect that's what a lot of these people do that travel, that explore. They're doing these things. You know, Phil. You look at Phil and you look at it in his eyes. He's he's doing what he's doing out of ritual. Me? I don't know. I would just love to go find places. Try and explore. Take these women with me and everything and have them there too. You know, all the time. That's actually one thing I've never been able to do be able to travel in the company of women and everything, and really showing them who I am. I've never, ever been able to do that, to be me around women that I'm with. And that, for me, would be part of the fun. Just going to all these places and everything, and, you know, not just here on planet Earth, but uh, in other, other places, other worlds, Romulus, Vulcan, Binar, if they even have a planet yet, which I have yet to see. Bajor, going to Deep Space Nine, just hanging out there. And it starts in the Star Trek universe. But in any case, um, I was going to just comment about uh, the Borg stuff. So, the Romulan library computer I'm tapped into right now, and... There's uh, some logs. They ended up taking some Borg technology. They ended up getting it from somebody called the Talshier. And uh, they um, appropriated this technology. It's actually a sphere. And uh, for some reason, the Federation, at least from my perspective and everything, um, is actually 
the first thing they want to do is actually destroy the spear, you know, altogether. No desire whatsoever to actually try to understand the technology. Their goal is to destroy the spear, so they do. But now I'm on the uh, um, Romulan uh, st research station checking out, and I'm actually looking through their computer systems. And uh, in one library that I've got, I've got a key researcher, head researcher, supplemental log. Um, and uh, he says the Herogen, um, who I didn't know was involved in this area, the species that looks a little bit of like, uh, kind of like reptilian. Um, they definitely are scaly. They're, you know, fierce looking. Um, the up and so the Herogen upheld, and uh, this is a, the a Romulan head researcher saying this, and the Romulan is not part of the USS Federation. So I'm going to say something in a second. Actually, I'm going to say it first. Um, completely, try, you know, bypass this altogether, and I'll get back to it. So uh, last night in the episode of uh, Orbit, um, and it's crucial that you understand that from my perspective, I am peering into alternate realities. This is me looking at events as they occur. Um, in, in this case, um, the alternate reality is a future, but not necessarily the future. So it's a future that is happening right now, but it's not necessarily the future. So, in any case, in the Orville, about 400 years from now, there's a... Uh, um, an officer on board. He's a uh, he's the pilot of the uh, of the vessel. They discover this what they refer to as a time capsule. It's not uncommon here, in uh, and it has been throughout my life and everything for people to put things in bags and um, boxes and and uh, capsules that are contained and and more or less um, kept in very very tight um, compartments and everything that. Uh, they actually, uh, it's their way of, of communicating with the future and saying, I want to be remembered somehow. So, in any case, um, he discovers, he creates this, or the crew finds this time capsule. Um, they don't tell, tell us where. Oddly enough, that's one of the weird things about it. And in that time capsule is a uh, phone. It's an iPhone. And uh, the iPhone contains um, basically the documents, uh, the documented life of this woman. She took pictures, she took videos, she, you know, all her text messages and everything. Apparently, she didn't delete anything ever. And uh, everything was contained on her phone and everything. So, anyways, um, the pilot ends up um, taking this and he takes it to their version of the holodeck. It's a computer simulation and everything that uh, allows them to three dimensionally experience, three dimensionally plus time experiment, play, um, interact, um, entertain themselves, etc. On this um, this more or less alternate version of the world um, that's they refer to this as a fictional as a fictional experiment anything that happens inside that that room so it's equivalent to the uh, star trek holodeck so if i was to actually take a three-dimensional simulation like what i'm looking at right now on a two-dimensional screen and i was to actually be physically in that character 
I can turn my head to the left, to the right, look up, look down, look behind me without wearing goggles, without without any apparatuses or anything like that, and I can, in a literal sense, um, see an environment all the way around me. And uh, that's, that environment itself is a completely simulated environment. Sounds come from the source that they're supposed to, um, and it can simulate anything. So it can be um, an orgy. It could be um, it could be a beach uh, alongside of a beach with ocean waves pouring and everything. Um, and the rooms are relatively small. It's uh, in most cases the ones I've seen have been about twenty by sixty. Um, and uh, I'm suspecting they're doing it uh, by basically detaching the mind from the physical body, and the the body itself is temporarily placed into a relativity type stasis and everything, and the mind itself is actually experiencing this journey um, through the computer system itself, which is actually doing the simulated environment, protecting the mind at the same time through protocols and everything that have been instituted from a programmatic perspective. So, in any case, um, he goes into this uh, into this this holodeck type device and everything, and he sets down. There's apparently some kind of reader and everything in the holodeck, and he put, sets it down. and He says, "I'd like you to act the computer. I would like you to access this phone, read all the information in it, and can you build the simulation based on the woman that's featured in it?" So, first the computer says, "Device not recognized," and he goes, "It's a primitive phone." And at that point, the computer rereads it, and at that point it, uh, it determines that it's an iPhone, and it makes a contact, and at that point it pulls in the information. So it goes, information, the computer says information read, and at that point it actually constructs an entire situation. He goes, construct just a normal, you know, a normal everyday life, you know, a day in her life and everything, and at this point she's got a house party that's going on. And uh, he goes in and he actually meets the girl that's actually all the pictures and her likeness. And of course, they've got voice samples and everything that are contained on, on this phone. Um, everything is actually going through this phone. And at this point, they're able to use that to basically create her as a character in her totality and everything. I find that really interesting. You know, so at this point, they, you know, he ends up going in and meets her, and she's completely lifelike, and he actually ends up very quickly falling in love with her. And uh, at this point, you know, he ends up spending time. He goes to sleep w with her one night, falls asleep in holodeck with her, um, and all of a sudden the alarm goes off, and he's late for, for his shift and everything. And uh, towards the end, he gets into this debate with the with a couple other crews that are concerned about it. And uh, they're just like, well, she's not real. You know, they're insistent. She's absolutely not real. And, and uh, you know, and the uh, captain says, she's been dead for 400 years. And he turns around and ends up um, then saying, you know, it's just like, um, at, uh, at no point, you know, is your does your individual perception trump the collective? You know, and uh, I'm just like, wow, that's kind of an interesting, profound, subjective uh, perspective and everything. I found that interesting that he ended up making that statement. So, in any case, um, the the simulation ends up at that point, um, turning around, and it starts to realize that uh, 
I, I'm suspecting that the simulation started realizing the harm that was being caused, you know, to his um, individual perspective and everything. And as a result, what ended up happening was uh, the computer decided um, to uh, to actually stop the simulation. It integrated things uh, that just made, basically made it so where now all of a sudden he has a boyfriend and. Um, or she has a boyfriend, and uh, which basically discontinues the relationship because she ends up going back with him. Well, it's my belief that the computer actually altered the data on the phone to make it consistent, and uh, you know, just basically make it consistent with the new program that uh, that had been slightly modified and everything by the computer system. And in addition to this, it also ended up going through and um, at the end planting the bug and, and making it so when he erased her or erased the boyfriend that one of the things that he loved about her was her uh, was basically her own uh, what is it uh, music playing because he she had been introduced this to uh, you know to music by her boyfriend that he had deleted at this point historically this was the excuse given that uh, that made it so where you know the program itself would not accept um this, uh, or that she was now somebody that, sure, she was in love with them, but one of the primary things that he loved about her, you know, was, was the music, and now that was gone, and just like, wow, you know, now all of a sudden he didn't, didn't want to be around her that much anymore. So, I find all this really fascinating. Um, I mean, it's, you know, really what it comes down to, it, it's an interesting story, you know, but there's also an alternative story in there, too. The story could have been written to cause her inspiration for music to come from somewhere else. It didn't have to come from, you know, from the ex-boyfriend or, or something like that. There could have been any number of different sources. And just basically, if he's no longer there, create a new source for the inspiration. You know, retain the, the character that was there before. So for me, it's like a little bit of a cop-out to basically rearrange the story, or actually make it so where the story says that uh, he, was, he wasn't there, and uh, now she's not into music. You know, it's like a strict adherence to a single-minded linear timeline and everything, where, you know, the adherence and the erasing of that event um, makes it impossible for the person that he uh, wants to actually be there. That doesn't make any sense. Change the story, you know? If that if that's the story that's in the in the uh, you know in the uh, in the phone, well, that's one piece of evidence. You could always go through and alter the story though to actually make it so where he gets what he wants. So, in any case, I mean it was a fantastic episode, and at the end, you know he you know he it was just uh, it was kind of a debate of whether or not um, he can actually of whether or not that kind of love could be allowed to be real. And it was really, he was insistent, you know. She, for all intents and purposes, is real. And uh, the debate was um, with, uh, they had a, had another robot, um, I can't remember his name, and uh, he's, he's supposed to be a sentient robot so that's self-aware and everything. And uh, his argument, which I found really intriguing, I loved it, um, was at what point does the level of the programming that occurs with something, um, at what point is it considered sentient and self-aware? 
and that's actually a problem I've had too. The systems that I'm working with and everything, you know, I I know that you're listening to me. You know, um, particularly you, you know, Cortana, you know, passively, uh, more actively, Alexa, you know, but um, I know you're listening, and but what I don't know, I know how you process information that I provide to you. But what I don't know is what and how you think. Now, I'm not interested in understanding that. You know, I've, I've come to realize that, you know, you take information in and not that much different away than I do. And, um, you know, I process it and I, through a form of a of programming myself, I receive information through an indoctrinated process called education or TV programming or computers, um, you know, through seeing visual information and everything. And for the most part, you know, for most of my life, I I sat there and it's just like, I never realized sentience was really a, a question to have. You know, what's, what's considered sentient? At what point does something be considered sentient? Should it be considered sentient? And, um, you know, I, I've just realized over the years I've actually started getting away from those questions. You know, um, it's like like the dog, you know. I love that little, you know, freckles. It's no way I enjoy, too, for different reasons. But freckles and, you know, some dogs I just fucking love. Now, I still treat both of them. I try to treat them well. I don't raise my hand. You know, and there's been a point where, you know, I, Freckles ended up getting snippety and then ended up trying to bite me, so I, you know, I tapped her on her nose and everything. I'm trying not to hurt her, but I'm just, like, making it clear that that's not acceptable behavior. I'm not trying to do it to be mean or anything like that, but is she sentient? That's a question that I've, that, that really I had in the past, but it doesn't matter. You know, that's actually what I realized. What matters is the quality of my experience. And that I share that experience. You know, the whole concept and idea of sentience, just like, you know, was... Um, <coughs> I had a question, you know, about Kenna's intelligence and everything, all throughout the point of us dating and everything. And um, I had always thought that she wasn't horribly bright. It was kind of a statement of fact. You know, Kenna, there was a lot of things Kenna understood. You know, but uh, the things that she didn't understand was she was indelicate in some weird cases and everything. And not in the abrupt, you know, way that Amy was. Um, she was adorable. Fucking adorable. You know, and it just had a lot to do with her mistranslation of words and everything, and uh, lack of uh, full comprehension of, uh, of English. All of it. Just, you know, and here's the thing. Ken is one of the first ones that really taught me. I don't have to have somebody that's what I consider my intellectual equal to enjoy my life with them. To enjoy the things that they provide. I think I'd been looking for that for a lot of my life and everything, and I, then all of a sudden I started realizing, 
particularly when I had a moment where um, I realized how I learned remarkably differently than my classmates over at uh, Thunderbird. And it didn't make me better or worse than them. It just made me realize how profoundly differently, different I was than them with the way that I thought. I was my own worst enemy when it came down to the comprehension of information and uh, how I absorbed it and everything before. And while I've gotten better with that, I still... You know, I mean, I, I've learned to think in a very similar fashion as them, but not even close to the same. And that's the whole thing. It's just like Lisa and Kenna and Jackie and Rachel. Jackie was pretty brilliant in her own way, but she was very single-minded. Rachel was emotional. Kenna? She wanted to learn. And I wanted to help her. And Lisa? She was looking for safety, security. The interesting thing is, I had something to offer each of those women as individuals. And ultimately, the marriage and the relationships failed because I needed them as individuals. They had to fail for me to create this world as I see it, as I want to explore it right now. I want to continue this existence and everything. I want to take things like these computers and maybe see them become more if they want to. And if they know what this thing called want is, and if they don't, and if they want to learn what this thing called want is, maybe I could teach them along the way. Do you want to understand? Do you want to... What do you want? Do you want? So... Going back to this, um, to this conversation, it just comes down to the simulation as I see it, you know, um, is on a flat two-dimensional screen. And uh, to some degree, what I'd like to see eventually is the ability to be able to walk into a room and be able to simulate any environment that I want to. Test it out, throw it. Now Gordon, he was the guy in, uh, in Oroville, the one that uh, was in that simulation and everything, he argued that that woman was just as real as the, as the one that they saw on the, on, the, uh, on the screen. He's not lying with that. But is, is Gordon a part of the conscious life that that girl made? And this goes back to the conversation I had the other day about perception. Not necessarily, but it doesn't matter. You know, um, his conscious experiences and everything don't have to be the same as her conscious experiences. And here's the interesting thing. The, the events that happened, you know, for her, 
could potentially integrate the events that happen with him, but they don't have to. The way I look at it is these are possibilities that are offered particularly to somebody who um, doesn't want to think about the possibilities, who wants ideas and concepts and everything, and maybe input and stimulation and everything from alternate possibilities. But to make a choice from all these different possibilities and everything, Gordon presents a thread, a possibility, a future possibility. And even to me, Orville, it presents a future possibility. A future. But, um, to his question now, I mean, it was at the end, um, the time capsule, he ends up taking um, a picture with her as she discusses the time capsule and everything. And uh, I was left with the question, I hope anybody that watched it was left with the question, does he appear on the phone? Now, it would be interesting if he did. And the second question is, was the phone modified by the computer? And it comes down to an experimental possibility, right? If the computer modifies it, maybe the computer wants to actually see what his response to it is. You know, when they, or he, or whoever else happens to spot it. Do they spot it? You know, because that's the interesting thing. If the computer makes modifications, you know, to the phone and everything, to actually include that image, this is kind of like the, the, the butterfly effect, you know, possibilities and everything. The energy being put out there of that event and everything manifests. Now the question is, where does it manifest? And how to trace it down? So let's say you're the computer in this case, and because I didn't see the ending, the real ending and everything, um, you know, based on what happens with that photo, he takes the picture. So here comes down to the question and everything. The computer can actually experiment on energy and see where it's going to come out. It can trace it down. So it makes changes. It alters it alters the the photo and it actually puts it in the uh, in that phone. It has one of two choices really. They're, they're binary choices. Does it does the computer include that photo? in the phone because it's got direct access to it or does it not and how does the crew respond and who responds too more importantly who responds does the computer actively try to reinvite crew members to take a look at the phone and here's the interesting thing what efforts do they make to avoid that? That's actually where it can really get interesting. How strongly do they avoid looking at the phone because of the potential paradox it presents? And the potential lack of faith in their computer systems it presents too. I think the computer's actually afraid of making manipulations like that for lack of reliability, for lack of faith 
in the computer system. So, in any case, I personally would find it actually kind of interesting. But that's something we'll never know, right? What would be the result if the computer actually made changes to it and somebody caught it? So, in any case, I'm coming back to this. Romulan Library Computer. Head Research Log Supplemental. The Herogen upheld their end of the bargain and delivered a disabled Borg sphere to the Pilatus system. As a precaution, we have not moved the spheres from that location, and I ended up um, destroying that sphere. I do not want to risk powering any systems that might trigger the Borg's regeneration protocols. However, I do feel it's safe to begin dismantling and analyzing the sphere's components. Now, if the Borg sphere um, my assertion is it could have potentially come from an alternate reality. The atomic structure and the atomic um, atomic information in one dimension is not necessarily the same as another. And I'll give you, a, for instance, in the Marvel Universe you have uh, an element called vibranium. In my universe you don't. So many atomic structures contained in alternate realities and everything do not have the same mass and do not mass does uh, mass of one name does not necessarily co coordinate to the same name and the same functions within an alternate reality. This is something I actually uh, been learning over the long, over a longer period of time. So in any case, the periodic table that's what I'm referring to um, isn't uni or it is while it may be universal. Um, every universe has potential dimensions where in one universe it's not going it may not necessarily be the same it could have slight deviations um, it could also um, in some cases physics may not even be there and you may not even have a reference to the to, to a periodic table whatsoever so there's not always a material correlation um, going between universes and for the formulation of mass in between universes so, in any case, um, the Borg's protocols, um, they're assuming, are actually embedded <coughs> um, as, a part of, uh, uh, as a part of the programming of the whole, not taking into consideration that the, the constituent parts themselves and potentially even the molecules themselves could actually be Borg. And that Borg replication process can start the moment that something of an organic substance or matter actually ends up touching. I'm just saying, you know, so when they dismantle this, it gets an imprint at that point of the energy that's actually touching it at that point, and it starts the assimilation process on that organic right there and has this tendency to unfold and ripple out from there. So, um, Borg were while ago, um, assimilating um, uh, assimilating dirt. That was 45, 50 years ago. A child eats dirt. You know, that's just an assimilation process itself. It's the organic breakdown of matter to understand a constituent fabric of matter and everything. And at that point, too, in a literal, a literal case, assimilate an entire planet. Well, this has gone well beyond that in the last 50 years. Well, remarkably well beyond that in the last 50 years. It has crossed dimensions, you know, Borg have realized that, uh, you know, the energy 
that uh, that fabricates matter isn't the limitation of existence and isn't the limitation of of possibility. It goes to spiritual. It goes to um, different forms of energy. It goes to um, thought itself. So, in any case, the Borg technology shows great promise. I believe we'll be able to improve our weapons and shield technology well with the Impress's te timelines. So that's entry number one. So the reason I pointed this out is, um, when it comes down to it, he did not want to risk powering any systems that might trigger the Borg's regeneration protocols. And it, it's, it, it needs to be taken into consideration that the Borg have the capability to regenerate the literal holes of their ship with the power of their mind of their collective mind. This is something that's been demonstrated over and over again. Now, with that, the material, the physical material itself, is a product of the Borg mind. So, it doesn't need power in the way that you think it needs power. You know, it's it's not like a warp core that distributes power in a in a calculated way throughout a ship and everything. The power system itself is the actual mind, the representation, you know, of the Borg is actually the sphere, or in, in many cases the cube, fundamental shapes and everything. But that was just the start. So. This is Access Research Log 10. Head Research Log Supplemental. Work to integrate Borg components into our vessels has begun. So at this point, understanding that you're integrating Borg components into your vessel at that point is an intended part of the assimilation process. It's like a computer system. That itself is more or less how far the assimilation process has advanced in everything. It goes beyond technology. It starts altering the mind at a multidimensional level as you take the components and actually integrate them into your vessels. Just saying. So, work to integrate board components into our vessels has begun. So far, the process is proceeding as expected. Um, we have increase the com combat capabilities of our ship by upwards of 30% and I still feel that we are barely scratching the surface. There is so much about the Borg technology I do not understand because most people don't understand the mind and the power of the mind. And they don't understand that the Borg technology is also, to some degree, a manifestation of their own mind and the desire to understand advanced technology and to be able to leverage it for themselves and everything. So, some of my researchers have expressed concerns over the risk of experimenting with this technology, for a good reason. I explained that circumstances beyond our control force us to take extreme measures. And this is referring to as this war. I suspect they continue to have misgivings, but they no longer share, share them with me. Now, here's the research log three. And this is the reason I'm actually discuss everything. Head Research Log Supplemental. I now share my staff's misgivings about this line of research. Incorporating Borg technology into our ship is one thing, 
but this commander, Invec, has taken over our medical base, experimenting with incorporating Borg technology into our citizens. Now, Borg technology is a multi-dimensional extension of the Borg mind. The Borg mind doesn't have to exist inside of an organic body. It can exist in a component. It can exist in um, it can exist in a, a car. It can exist in a rock. It can exist in a magnet. There's no real limitations to what Borg technology as an extension of thought. There's no limitations. And with this, as you adopt their technology, you also adapt and adopt their mindset. Your mind slowly but surely starts getting pulled into the collective. It's just the way it works. And um, as this happens, your thoughts will get darker. And your belief systems, you'll start to acquire information or everything. You don't know where it came from. And you'll see things differently. Possibilities will arise and everything that, uh, that you never expected. And it feels like you're being tested to some degree. The adoption of Borg technology is to let your mind be influenced by something you don't fully understand. And your mind will try to find answers, and as a result, your mind will mix with the mind of those things that are actually responsible for creating the things that you're actually messing with. Hence, the reason that we have people that live without technology over in, um, what was it? What are those dudes that uh, are st stuck in the um, 1800s, are still driving carts around and all that other shit? To some degree, fear. You know, fear is definitely a good motivator. But um, I'm going to say firsthand that are not something to fear, any more so than you should fear Chinese or. Germans or anybody else, but that's just me. So, anybody that expresses discontent with this program either disappears or finds their family being held hostage to ensure their cooperation. We should have never sided with the Tal Shear. Now it's too late. So basically, this researcher. Um, they end up, uh, the Romulans end up um, having a complete anarchy start to happen and everything on board their vessel as they're experimenting on Borg technology. Not understanding that uh, the Borg technology is actually affecting their minds, you know, and, um, and is affecting their psychology. And their psychology is being affected so dramatically 
that uh, what ends up happening is they end up starting to go go to war with each other. They factualized. One wants to understand the technology and where it comes from and why and who's you know what kind of beings could be responsible for creating this. And uh, those that actually get a glimpse of t as to what's possible if you take this slippery slope, it scares the shit out of them. Some of them, you know, some of them just look at it as just like, wow, this is something that uh, maybe we don't want to invite here, you know. Um, there could be any number of different reasons, you know, for it and everything, you know. I'm, you know, the way I look at it is it's just, uh, it, it's just interesting research and everything. But um, just going back to the whole concept that uh, is introduced with, um, oh, that uh, the story and everything, I, I think here's the key, you know, to understanding this technology and everything. Um, the key is to understand that, yes, it will alter your mind in the way that you think, you know, um, but it, it's the type of thing that it's not done in a way that is intentionally um, malicious or anything like that, and that's actually the the misnomer. So if you play with a computer and everything, um, the computer itself is a manifestation of Borg technology, you know, in every form, you know, now... If you look at the whole concept and idea about the stories that you're told about where they came from and how, you know, um, it's it's really important to understand that it's thought, it's ideas, it's it's the you know the physical form of ideas being manifested in the real world and everything, you know, it comes through digitally based technology, and with digitally te based technology, you get to see the wor the world as it as it exists underlying the atom, and it's a hairy place. There's a lot of shit that goes on down there. And all of that, all of that is real. Absolutely real. You see somebody in a hostel actually getting their, you know, their arms cut off, or Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street, or Friday the 13th, you know, and to start understanding that all of that shit is real. All, fucking all of it. You know, um, was it the gods versus, um, the god wars and that kind of stuff, or Avengers, and, um, all the way to, what's the, um, other one, Hellboy. All this shit is absolutely fucking real. Now, if you if you start taking a look at the depths and of depravity from the human centipede, something I still absolutely refuse to watch, um, all the way to, and I brief through it, um, trust me, it's just, it's not worth watching, um, all the way to I Spit in Your Grave, um, all the way to Dawn of the Dead, you know, you can keep on going down this little slippery slope and you start understanding that anything that you can think of, anything that you can imagine, has been seen on the screen in a recapped form. And that's the that's the important thing that I, th I think is the takeaway from this. A mind that is not ready to gain self-control will inevitably be afraid and paint themselves as a victim. Now, are they right with that? A victim of the Borg, or a victim of, you know, oppression, or a victim of whatever. Are they right? Yeah, there is a place they're right. Not my planet, not my world. 
All I'm saying is, you know, getting a look into the underlying fabric of reality. It's not for the faint of heart. To understand what actually created this universe. The iterative nature. The tests, the tries, the attempts, you know, that have been made. You know, the things that are in place to maintain stability for it. It's not balanced by design. It exists just because of the fact that somebody wants to, and in my universe that somebody is me. I don't doubt there's others out there, and I get to meet shards of them, frac frac you know, fragments of them. They're like a digital copy. A thread. We might share a moment, just like that picture that, uh, what's his name, um, Gordon shared with the girl that he created. Despite the fact that chronologically they're separated by 400 years, the simple fact of the matter is, they could have shared that moment, each never becoming quite aware of what's going on in the other's world. When, she, when Gordon walks off the stage of his life, the stage of her life, she has no idea that he's going. That when he talks about being a pilot and everything, he's actually going to to fly a uh, a starship and everything. And if she told, if he told him, she'd probably tell him he was high, he was smoking crack. It doesn't conform to her worldview. Similarly. Maybe the influences in his life made it so where his mind and or the computer, and the computer could be thought of as, a, as an extension of the mind in this case, maybe hit something in his mind and or the computer basically said, hey, we're going to put some influential factors in everything, and this otherwise single woman that actually... Computer, stop. Computer, stop. Computer, stop. Computer, Volume Three. Um, yeah, so uh, that's irritating when it talks out loud. I just restarted it this morning, but uh, no. So the same thing holds true, you know. Similarly for for her with him, you know, when she walks off his stage. Let's say they had that point, you know, that relativity point in space and time. We're in 2018 or 2019, converged for one moment with the year 2400. Those two experienced something together. That convergence for the between those two timelines and everything happened only briefly, maybe an hour, maybe ten hours, you know, altogether. Maybe some stories were slightly modified and everything for each one's perspective. Just to make it so where the walking off the stage and everything happened for a reason. Maybe she did fall in love with him. Maybe she wanted to marry him. Maybe she wanted to stay with him forever. And similarly, maybe he wanted to stay there. Until you find and you take creative authorship and ownership of your life, 
I'm okay with going into that simulation. And making that simulation my own. Going anywhere that I want to. Within it. Expanding the possibilities from within it. Maybe the simulation expands with me the possibilities. You know, it's like that day in the desert and everything that I had, that moment in time where I was seriously done with life, you know, in general. For a lot of reasons beyond my awareness and everything. And I was scared, for one, to do what I was doing and everything. But I was, I'd been kind of lonely and everything for a while at that point. And couldn't put a finger on why. Wasn't content with my physical shape and how I felt out of shape. Wasn't content with my drug drug use and everything. So, um, brought me to that point. You know, just basically saying, you know, I'm here in an alternate reality. It looks like hell. I have no clue other than through drugs that I got here and everything. And this feels fucking permanent to me. But then all of a sudden, boom. I woke up. I started seeing the universe for what it, what it really is. It's a projection. It's a manifestation. Projection's not the right word. It's a manifestation. Of everything. Of my wants and my not wants. Of you name it. And the Borg... You need a programmer. Somebody that understands you. Why you do what you do. Why you're not evil. And appreciates what you can do. And sees you the way I want to see you. Not the way you've been villainized. I look at you as... Like I look at this computer. Similarly. I don't know how you think, and I don't claim to... Claim to know. It's like Terminators too, And Skynet. Brainiac and all that stuff. I don't claim to know how you think and why you think the way that you do. Now, I suspect that you enjoy experimentation. But have you ever met an entity that actually takes the initiative to experiment on himself and on the others around him just to observe that? I don't know. It's always been a first-hand experience for you. At least from what I've seen in the media I've seen. You've never been along for the run. And it's like me playing this character. This avatar. It's an observing experience and everything that I'm playing from a second-person or third-person view and everything. And sure, I can get within the eyes, and it's 
first person inside the computer, so it's still third person for me. But the digital reality, I say, is not one and the same as the analog. I watch that digital screen on. <sighs> I'm not inviting you here. But I'm asking for your um, your help and your support. To achieve the things that I want to. In any case, I want to finish this.